It's 6 o'clock in London, it's 1pm in New York, 1am in Hong Kong, 3am in Sydney, 10am in San Francisco, and 10.30 at night in Mumbai. Greetings, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. My name is Patrick L. Young, the IPO Vid Livestream, Series 5, Episode 2, starts here. Welcome to Episode 26, in a defensive move, lest America gets more aggressive, uh, unless you missed the last year, of course, when it was deemed vital by many to remove President Trump to replace him with some other bloke who, it turns out, is arguably even more aggressive to China than his predecessor. Anyway, where was I? Ah, yes. With American antipathy towards China unlikely to go away, Beijing <laughs> has taken a move towards financial independence by deploying swift technology for banking transactions as a defensive move against American machinations. Rumor has it the Chinese Institute of Archaeology is providing some programmers from their runic technology division so the Chinese banks can get to grips with the archaic SWIFT system. I can imagine the order of the day for those integration conversations. Remind me, what is the Mandarin for punch card is presumably the sort of statements that are being used at the moment in Chinese integrations across the banking system. Meanwhile, the UK antitrust body, the CMA, when asked the question, does 90% market share make a monopoly, answered to the crowd a resounding yes which meant an equally resigning no to the proposed merger of UK crowdfunding market leaders, Crowdcube and Cedars. What a sensible decision. The notion the market leaders needed to merge to create an overwhelming monopoly to make a profit was undermined by their charges, 500 to 700 basis points. On those numbers, inability to profit is remarkable where conventional exchanges are often pilloried for deem being deemed to profiteer by some on gross charges, which are circa one thousandth of the crowdfunding rates. Meanwhile, speaking of excessive interest rates, over in Ankara, where firing the central bank chief only caused an acceleration of the run on the Turkish lira, we had the reports that Turkish lira overnight swap rates spiked to 1,160% last week. Now that rather puts in perspective the running theme of the course of the last few weeks, which has been the excitement of the American bond market. In Washington DC last week, 30-year US Treasury bonds peaked just below 2.5% per annum. All this and more has been covered in greater detail in Exchange Invest Daily, the unique newsletter of the bourse business. Send us an email or hit me up on social media, Patrick L. Young, via whatever stream you're watching this show, and we can get you signed up to understand the exchange business. Meanwhile, please, ladies and gentlemen, send us a little love. Give us a like at the bottom of the screen. We would really appreciate it, and it helps the artificial intelligence wonder bots that do search engine optimization to encourage us to come forward. Good evening, Dr. Palashik, Michal Palashik at the University of Nikola Copernicus in Torun. It's a delight to see you this evening. One of many viewers who are here to hear from our guest, Colin Howard, this evening. In a fascinating episode, we're titling Innovation, Data and the Sovereign Individual. Colin is a pioneer of electronic data captured feeds from the forecourt. He installed some of the world's earliest electronic petrol pumps in indeed my native Northern Ireland, no less during the 1970s. He was an originator in retail information systems, actually doing the first, as I remember, ever online credit card transaction. Your question today, ladies and gentlemen, drop it down in the comments. What was the speed of the modem 
through which that first electronic credit card transaction was taking place. Was it 10 megabits? Was it 20 megabits? Was it slightly less? I'll leave it up to you to have a think about what that could have been. And Colin will no doubt tell us soon. Colin was also the man who turned the Nepal Stock Exchange electronic, amongst many other things, in a series of commercial deals in the world of commodities. He created the first electronic dealing room in the city of London, which we'll get to in a minute. And he's also been involved amongst other exchange technology ventures with the likes of UNCTAD and indeed various putative exchanges around the world, including the Aruba Stock Exchange, amongst many, many others. Colin, good evening. Welcome to IPO Vid Live. Where in the world are you this evening? Well, Patrick, if you triangulated where the War of the Worlds was set, with the first crematorium and the oldest mosque in the UK, you would end up in Woking, which is where you would find me just down the road from the, the McLaren factory. Just down the road from the McLaren factory, you're giving away there to the viewers the fact that we serve, we both have a bit of a passion for four-wheeled automobiles, especially those under the strain of speed. Yes, Woking, very interesting place. The epicenter in some ways of lots of motoring history actually has been all around you over the course of generations. But tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you come to be a, a technological guru and someone who was driven by innovation? I was very fortunate, Patrick, in that when I was 17, my father asked me where I was going to live when I left school, and that forced me into the army. And in the army, I commanded the first anti-tank guided missile platoon, which taught me electronics at a very young age. Uh, and I've been involved in learning electronics and uh, ever since. Uh, and uh, when you think about what you can do with electronics, it gives you ideas. And it's one of those ideas that I hope we'll be discussing today within your title of innovation, because it is an innovation. We're talking about data and we're also applying it to the individual, the sovereign individual. Very good words for your title. Well, thank you very much. The Sovereign Individual actually came from a book by, well, he's now, I suppose, most famous as being the father of uh, the father of the House of Commons these days, William, William Rees-Mogg, and he was Lord Rees-Mogg. He was uh, an editor of The Times for many years, and he wrote a fantastic book called The Sovereign Individual about 20, 30 years ago, and I've always been quite fascinated by the term, and it comes to mind when we're talking about the whole issue as you talk about it in relation to innovation and data and the Sovereign Individual. But before we get there, so you were engaged in the army you learned all about anti-missile anti-missile batteries and things like that which must be very exciting at the time something that certainly sent you for a, a huge need for speed as they're even faster than the best racing cars we can think of you then came out of the army and very rapidly found yourself in another electronic venture in the oil industry, I learned uh, about management and I wrote an accounting package, which was actually paper based and started a company to run lots of forecourts for lots of oil companies. And the paper was coming out of our ears, Patrick. We, we were buried in it. And I said to myself, there's a solution to this. We all we need is a data feed and we can do this automatically. And it was that simple idea that created the electronic data capture. And the idea from then was that you could reorganize the entire movement of the uh, shipping fleet, uh, bringing petrol or whatever into the country, and you 
would know if you change the price that you could sell it out. And that was the first concept of retail control systems, which was the name of our company in that time, in order to manage the the stock and profit that a business was making. And that's grown exponentially within the UK, we have nectar cards, and I, I think in almost every country that this is going out to, will have some form of loyalty cards. And of course, paying for it had to be uh, in those days originally with cash. And cash is an enormously expensive uh, commodity to con to control, to count in and out of the bank all the time, to carry it there, to secure it. Uh, so the move to plastic was became inexorable but what i want to point out to you patrick is that it took me four years to convince barclay card to even try a, an electronic transaction and that's perhaps the point that we're coming to within this innovation game that you can have the conceptual idea and you can have a clear vision as to what is possible but then the adoption is extremely difficult. The bank inspectors specifically of Barclaycard said that they would never, ever allow a, a, an online credit card transaction without a signature. So in creating that very first online credit card transaction, we had to do an optical character recognition of the signature and transmit that along with everything else. Now you asked about the bode rate. Uh, I, I, has anybody come up with the guess in the meantime? No guesses in the meantime. It's last call, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think that bode rate was for the first credit card transaction? Maybe we can tease you a little bit. We can tell you, when was the year? Was it 1975, Colin? Uh, it was 1976. 1976. So there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, last call. So far, no guesses, actually. I'm quite disappointed altogether, audience. I would have thought you were going to be more engaged this evening, giving us a couple of runs. So 1976, Colin, see what uh, you can say. Oh, actually, first of all, let me say thank you very much, Marianne Madeira. Thank you for the like. That's a delight to see. Helps us pop up the search engine optimization. As always, good to see you watching us on Facebook this evening, Marianne. Thank you very much. So tell us, what was that portrait? Well, the answer, uh, let me preface the answer by saying that the bode rate of a telex machine is 75 bode. Mm -hmm. And the bode rate uh, for T plus two, that would have been great. Uh, the, the, the bode rate of uh, the original mechanical Stroger exchange, which used to go click, 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 as you dialed it, if you, yeah. those of you remember that noise, uh, that was the mechanical counters clicking across and making the connections. The maximum speed that, that would transmit data through was 200 bode. <laughs> and when we uh, did this first transaction, we were actually using a four-bit processor. It was the Intel 4040, and in those days, it was still eight people in a garage in California producing them. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
And, and Martin, uh, Watkins is, Martin Watkins is quipping about T plus two, ha ha. And the uh, in relation to yes, the seventy five board of a telex, which I think is uh, is quite appropriate. So so yes, indeed, people were in garages in a newfangled place called Silicon Valley, which nobody'd ever heard of, but an exotic land. Who knows whatever came of it? Well. It, 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 I have had the great privilege of growing up with history, Patrick, you see, and all this innovation. And that what I would like to try and uh, put across to your parish tonight is the difficulty of coming up with an idea and then getting that translated into uh, live action. I'm going to make the um, prediction. It may be a prediction that I don't live to see. But the prediction I make tonight is that we are going to turn the entire control of data on its head. Today, every organization assumes that it collects information on its customer and that it owns that information on its customer and it has a right to exploit that information on its customer. And the classic supreme examples are Google and Facebook, where they definitely exploit your data. I predict that in future, you as an individual, and this is where we come to the sovereign individual, you as an individual will control your data entirely yourself. And anybody who wishes to use that data will have to have consented connection to it. Then you will get the benefit of any monetization of the data rather than the likes of Google. You will be able to control who has what at what time. It may be extensive information you're prepared to share, or it may be very little, but certainly it'll be a, a position where, to quote a term, you will only have to tell your story once. Every one of you today who goes online shopping has to answer a load of questions every time you take on a new supplier. They want to know your name, your address, fair enough, name, they need address for, for the delivery. Uh, then they want your payment information. And every time you have to fill it in. Why? Why can you not have it on a template and mm -hmm. they just connect to that template? And then the person selling you the information only needs your name to, to be courteous to speak to you. They don't need your address. The person who needs the address is the delivery company. Mm -hmm. And the payment company is the only person who needs your payment details. So the, I predict that this is going to be under your control within 10 years. But of course, it's a quantum change. It, 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 it is uh, every bit of software that we have at the moment is geared towards the macro control. And now we're talking about the micro control. 
But it's uh, interesting, actually. We already got a couple of great comments coming in. I mean, uh, Mujat Karata, so I was going to go to him first. Sorry, producer, just confusing you there. This means that the real ownership of your own data, which I think is absolutely getting to the nub of it indeed. Um, Kartik, uh, Kartik Swamanathan, I hope I've got that right, Kartik. Um, very true. Consent architecture is critical to give control to users. And I think that's very interesting because, indeed, the consent architecture mechanism is something that's been completely lost in the Internet today. And isn't it ironic, Colin, that you know you and I, we've been on the Internet and doing e-commerce for 25 years on the Internet alone. We've been doing it 25 years before there was an Internet to do to it on. I'm sorry, you started at 200 baud, right? I mean, that's awesome for the, for the credit card transaction. When you look at it that way, it's quite interesting because the brave new world of the sovereign individual of the Internet was that we were all going to be hugely in control of everything, whereas instead what it seems to be is that the data is resting, as you say, with the other parties and effectively... The sovereign individual is going nowhere and actually there's no real innovation because it's just a still a very large old-fashioned corporate centralized model i i am keen in, when talking about innovation patrick to remind people uh, of a certain age they will remember it but those uh, those a bit younger will not uh, why did the ibm become the pc of choice to the world and uh if I can quickly explain, it's because with the IBM XT, in a, at a time when every single computer company had entirely different software, entirely different architecture, entirely different chips, deliberately, so that they could not be sharing with other people. They could not share their market. Everybody wanted to dominate the market by, with, the, with their unique uh, architecture. At that time, IBM came out with the IBM XT and the backplane of the computer. They published the, what, what's called the bus structure. They published the bus details of the computer. And what that meant was that anybody could produce an interface card and plug it in. And they knew that the top rail was 240 volts. The second rail was 5 volts. The third rail was 0 volts and so on. D d down, down the bus so that they could design their own cards and put it into the IBM XT. And it was that open source approach which made the IBM XT the go-to PC for the world. It was the most brilliant and inspired bit of innovation by IBM, uh, the like of which I, I can't think of any parallel to that. They, they completely transformed the computing industry. It was in 1982, I think. Yeah. I, I could stand corrected on, on, on that. But it transformed my world. And uh, I think that by providing the uh, equivalent of that backplane uh, bus structure for every individual's data, we can transform the control world of uh, the use of information. You see, I, there are one, a number of questions I think everybody should ask themselves. I've just written it down here, forgive me. Um, who knows your password? Where are your photos? What about the intellectual papers you've written? Where are all of these? Who has got control of them if you pass away? 
Now, I don't want to be too dramatic about that, but are we going to be entering a new digital dark age with all this distributed data? Or are we going to get a situation where we gather control of our data uh, back under our control? Now, if we do that, let's say we do unfortunately pass away. We can leave instructions that all sorts of bits and pieces of that data can be parceled out. Our estate can be managed as per our will. We may have some special instructions that go to somebody, uh, not our wife, <laughs> if you follow me. Uh, uh, and indeed, there may be children that we need to give some money to that the other children don't know about. So you can partition the instructions. How are you going to do that if you don't have any control of your own data? Uh, as I say, I think we're already in danger of going into a new digital dark age as we lose sight of the um, uh, original uh, code that, that, that uh, things were written in. You talked about Swift earlier on. And yes, Swift is horribly antique uh, to, to the point that it has absolutely no security checks in the data whatsoever. And that, that, that is why the Bangladesh Central Bank lost uh, nearly two million pounds in a, a fraud and would have lost a billion if Deutsche Bank hadn't been on the ball. Uh, so uh, if, if we lose uh, the capability to read our three and a half inch floppy disks that we had our own papers on, which I imagine most of us have lost that ability now, uh, we certainly would have lost the ability to read those uh, tape uh, recorders that we used to dictate onto and give to our secretaries to, to type out. Uh, we'll, we, as I, I call it, the new digital dark age. We will lose our history. And I'm very keen that we get it back to being under the control of an individual and then consented. Then going a little bit further on, Look how we can share that data with other people if we control it. One example, certification. If you happen to be a welder, say, uh, let's say you're a welder with uh, a qualification to dive to a depth of 300 meters. You're worth a fortune to um, uh, uh, the manufacturer of a oil rig and you will be in great demand hired by a contractor who will be working for one of the big oil companies. Now, are those certificates real or are they photoshopped? Today, I read that 30% of Pakistan Airlines pilots uh, licenses are fraudulently produced. Interesting. How many, therefore, of the welder's information are also fraudulently produced? And what is the risk to the oil company being the prime uh, contractor over that build of the rig? What is the risk to them? Now, if I had to have my personal certificate certified by the issuing authority, and authenticated on my personal data site, 
And if I then gave consented access to that, to the recruiting company, to the contracting company, and to the prime contractor, BP, say, and BP were able to look through, not see who I was, not see what my address was. They don't need anything like that. All they need to do is to be able to look through everybody that's employed on their site and get little green lights come up. Everybody's got a, a valid certificate authenticated by the issuer. Quick check through, no problems at all. Now, ask yourselves, how could that possibly, possibly be managed in any shape or form today? And I think the answer is it can't. Anybody who in insurance who is insuring that rig is hasn't any idea of what their risk is. It could be somebody, uh, I, I, I saw a, a thing today where, where the wife said, darling, everything's all right. Your supper's uh, on the top of the stove and the gas is already on. All you've got to do is light it. Well, I think there's <laughs> going to be a, a circumstance where that gas is going to be lit on that oil rig and it's going to blow up because the welder's certificate wasn't correct. And uh, so, what you say? You're sitting telling us so that this world of Frank Abagnale, you know, Catch Me If You Can, that fantastic movie was made of this, where he had his own complete. I mean, he had, a, he had an enormous printing press at one stage in the south of France, knocking out frauds. It's a terrifying statistic: the idea that there are airline pilots on commercial airlines anywhere in the world managing to fly fraudulently. At the same time, it's quite fascinating, as you say, who's going to light the blue touch paper at any point in time, and therefore cause the inferno in terms of what could be the the data inferno for data and the sovereign individual. And I suppose that brings us to, we've got a couple of great comments coming in here, but also ladies and gentlemen, if you've got a question to ask, now's the time. We've got Colin Howard in the studio this evening. We're talking all about data, the sovereign individual, and effectively how that works going forward. So we'll be delighted to hear from you if you've got a comment you'd like to make, if you've got a question you'd like to raise. We had an excellent comment there, actually. First of all, a woman on IT, thank you very much for saying it's a very interesting discussion. I totally agree. I think it's a fascinating conversation this evening. And then at the same time, uh, Kartik Swaminathan, he's been in giving some very interesting comments this evening. He notes that India is creating a digital locker as part of the Indian stack for exactly this kind of purpose. Now, he asks the question, I guess there's something similar in the United Kingdom. I'm going to have to ask you to hold your horses on that for just a second, Colin, because first of all, I'd like to actually get to, I do believe it's Martin Watkins once again, who's complimenting your outstanding posts. It rather reminds him of victory or death. Well, you flatterer at that point in time. What can I possibly do but show a copy of victory or death, my fine book with a forward by uh, Jeffrey Sprecher, the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, chief executive of ICE, who we saw this week, of course, inaugurating the new ICE Futures Abu Dhabi Exchange just yesterday morning. So great points, Martin. I mean, you say, I am intrigued to understand how financial exchanges, index providers, and those big four, the GAFA, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, will transform after we take back ownership of our own thoughts. So there's two great conversations to manage to get together. I'm going to come to Mujat Karatas in just a moment. So first of all, Kartik, Kartik Swamanathan is asking, 
India is creating a digital locker as part of its Indian technology stack. Is there something similar in the United Kingdom? Colin? Uh, no. Uh, and uh, But there is competition uh, to provide some solutions in this space. And uh, Microsoft offer a vault uh, at, at this moment in time. And uh, the... the, uh, the, the does the founder of the World Wide Web himself has got a, 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 a system. But it, the, the important Bernard point... Bernard Lee, great man. Bernard Lee, thank you, Patrick, of course. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the really exciting point to bring out, Kartik, is that none of us are going to be owning this. It is going to be you, sir, not not a, not an India digital locker, part of an India stack. Well, that's that, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, let, 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 let's use that. But how are we going to all address this? We're going to have to come up with common open standards. You as an individual are going to own that data. So how do we make that accessible? To everybody. Well, one of the answers we've come up with is to use XBRL. Now, what is XBRL? Extended Business Relationship Language is a taxonomy that uh, allows us to have uh, different identifiers for different aspects of accountancy. It gives us a start. It, 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 it means that if we want to have net profit after tax, uh, 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 as a, a figure that we're looking for, then that's going to have a standard uh, entry into the taxonomy. And all, whether it's the India stack, whether it's Microsoft uh, Vault, whether it's Tim Berners-Lee's uh, uh, organization, or whether it's something we produce, um, ultimately, everybody is going to have to have the same connectors. So if, if you're a travel company, and your or airline, let's take an airline, and you're looking for uh, uh, the person's passport to do the passport check. Uh, the passport has to be certified by the passport issuer, so it's not a fake passport. And once that's authenticated, the airline connects just to the passport, and then the pre-flight check is done uh, on that. So. Um, any form of move in, in this uh, is, is going to be terrific. But the, the, the fundamental fact is that if you're Google or Amazon or British Airways or anybody deciding to give the customer back their data, and, but you have access to it, then it's, uh, it, it, it is simply isn't yours anymore. It is under the control of the individual. So you, Kartik, will have your own um, database, which only you can access. Uh, and everybody else has to have consented access to it. You control it. You own it. it, it now, of course, if there's a, a financial component to it, in, in the UK, we have to keep our accounts for six years plus current year. So if you... you 
bought something from somebody which forms a component of their balance sheet, they must still have access to that until they can lose it with retention. And of course, a great part of all this is the uh, way uh, the general data protection regulations play with, with, with the data. It, GDPR, which incidentally, uh, Patrick, when you were searching the other day for something nice to say about Europe, I, th I think uh, GDPR is, is one of the great things that has been produced by Europe. It's very elegant code, uh, very elegant law rather, and uh, it has been generally speaking adopted throughout the world uh, in the same way as uh, international standards or the original British Standards Institute uh, recommendations got adopted. It's in, even being adopted in California. It's not adopted, of course, in the United States because of the First Amendment. And uh, the, the, you know, I think it's going to be a while before the United States actually come to terms with personal privacy. But in, in, in that we do have the right to that personal privacy now, all these uh, large institutions are at risk whilst they're controlling your data. If they lose the data and, you know, it, 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 these criminals are extraordinarily capable, you know, they're, they're utterly brilliant in, in, in the way they access it. Sorry, well, Patrick. I can, I can assert the First Amendment rights of a couple of the people who are asking questions here, Colin, and uh, we can get to a couple of things now. Mujat Karatas, I mean, it's very, very interesting what you're talking about. Thank you very much, Kartik, for your question. I hope that's helped get you to an answer. Now, Mujat had earlier asked us, this means that the real ownership of your own data, he was talking about that. Now he's asking, what does that mean for employers? Well, employers uh, have to have certain amount of information uh, on you. And if you want to be paid, then they must have access to your bank uh, and your bank account. Uh, so they, they must have access to, 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 to your details, uh, which is fine. We just provide this consented connector uh, for the time that you work for them. And if you go, if you stop working for them, then you, what do you want to do? You want to get another job, in which case you want to put yourself out with the recruitment companies. And do you want your data to go now to a thousand recruitment companies? Do you think a recruitment company has any capability to look after data securely? I think the answer is clearly no. And, and you don't want that many iterations of the data out there anyway. So uh, you would give them consent to access your, your data, which would give them immediately the answers to that they would need to sort out within their office anyway. When are you available? What are your skill sets? What sort of job do you want to go for? What sort of salary range are you aiming for? The, at the moment, a recruitment company has to have a vast data capability to analyze that and put it before their customer. If, if, if it's just a question of doing a scan of everybody who's available for a job in a cruise ship as a guitar player, then they will get a direct access to them. Possibly the cruise company will say, well, we don't need the recruitment company anymore. We'll just go straight to them. Thank you very much indeed.
Maybe that's interesting possibility for disintermediation there. And actually, disintermediation perhaps this brings us elegantly back during this evening's conversation about innovation data and the sovereign individual with Colin Howard. My name is Patrick L. Young. If you'd like to ask Colin a question, we've got 25 minutes of the conversation to go. This question that came up earlier and disintermediation sprang to mind immediately from Martin Watkins. He was complimenting you on the outstanding points you were making. And he's intrigued to understand how financial exchanges, index providers, and the likes of the GAFA, Google, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook, will transform after we take back ownership of our own data. Colin. Uh, bizarrely, uh, my recent information is that Google would welcome the uh, access to people's data, but not owning it. Uh, and, and the purpose behind that is GDPR. They, they see only reputational damage coming from actually owning the data. Whereas it, they, their business now is very well structured to exploit the data. Whether they could have got there without owning it in the first place is a mute point. But now that they've got the, those established connections, now, what if they then said to you, we've got uh, an ability to conduct a survey, um, w w which, that's my dog walking in, uh, uh, conduct a survey which you will get paid a pound for. Uh, Google are going to earn £10, but you're going to earn a pound. How many people would then say, oh, yes, I'll participate in that survey. Now, now you've got consensus-led uh, control of, of the, the data. Uh, you, you've got revenue sharing going on with these mega organizations. And I think that would change people's attitude to, to Google and Facebook and Amazon tremendously. I also would like to just point out, Patrick, that very recently, if you are a vendor in Amazon, uh, let's say you sell buckets and spades uh, on Amazon's site, they now no longer allow you to have details of the customer they've sold it to. They say they're acting as the distribution medium and the order is coming into Amazon, you're just a supplier. So you no longer have, within the Amazon current direction, you don't have control of your customer data. I think that's quite worrying. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a, 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 an, I can see why Amazon are doing it, because if they suddenly decide that they're going to be providing the buckets and spades or they can make more margin by getting it from another supplier, then they can cut out your original uh, supply position completely. And of course, that's been a big risk with, with Amazon in particular in recent times. And it's very interesting. We've got another great question has come in, actually. Thank you, Colin. Thank you very much, Martin Watkins, for an excellent question altogether. I hope you had a lovely black tie dinner last week. Thank you, Colin, says Kartik. Kartik, once again, Kartik Swaminathan. Uh, thank you, Colin. As I understood, we shall need a unifying standard across the driftware systems, which control with users, like we have IMAP and POP3 protocols for email interoperability. Absolutely, sir. Yeah, completely agree. And this is not going to be 
owned by anybody. It's got to be developed on a consensus basis uh, throughout the community, as indeed Tim Berners-Lee is promoting uh, with, with his ideas. And Tim Berners-Lee, of course, gave us the World Wide Web uh, architecture free. Uh, this will be the same. This is not going to make uh, a, a, a new billionaire. It's got to be uh, very much a community project which, which everybody uh, connects with. And uh, of course, we, we are so privileged uh, as, as people of our generation, our age, to, for the work that was done in the 70s by the early pioneers of, uh, of the internet who uh, remember email was originally written in the 70s. Yeah. What amazing uh, innovation capability they had. And that, of course, Patrick, brings me to the discussion we had yesterday on the very sh short line that uh, uh, imagination is more important than knowledge. And uh, I'll allow you to um, uh, suggest who, who said that. I do believe that was Albert Einstein because he was—he wasn't only a genius; he was actually a very good thinker. And I think those those two things can be remarkably separate at different points in time, depending on where people are. It's uh, it's quite interesting. The, the yeah, I mean, the whole concept of thinking seems to be something that's rather gone out of fashion these days. As does actually innovating. I mean, you're talking about data innovation and the sovereign individual. And I'm sorry, everybody seems to run around these days and has innovation managers and all sorts of people who are there to cause all sorts of upheaval and nothing ever seems to actually change in these companies or in these organizations. I don't know, um, is it just me, Colin? I'm sorry, I was reading what was on the screen, Patrick. The generally, it seems to me that we have a remarkable amount of innovation being talked about, but it, it's rather like this stasis, I mean, in some way. It, innovation is extraordinarily difficult. It, it's extraordinarily difficult in my view because people are not uh, promoted because of their innovation. Uh, you don't see people on their uh, CVs or you don't, you don't see advertisements wanted. Somebody to completely change our business model. Somebody to uh, rethink entirely what we're doing. You see somebody to they want somebody in a job who's going to be the chief security officer who will continue to do what the chief security officer before them did. And so innovation does involve imagination. How, and we've had examples tonight. Thank you, Kartik. You know, he's imagining how this can be. What have we got to create in order to make this happen? That is, if 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 we get fifty or a hundred of your viewers tonight thinking along those lines, that will be fantastic, and that that'll be a, a, an extremely good yield. It 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 is so difficult to get uh, change accepted in the world. Um, when I first started the first business internet service provider. I cannot tell you the number of people that I went to and pounding the streets, talking to them, would you like um, to be connected to the internet? 
What? No, we'll never do that. Email? We'll never use email. And, you know, those answers were genuine at the time. That the people didn't really know what email was. So how could they imagine what innovation it would, it would create within their firm? Uh, however, I'm asking you all to think to yourselves, can you imagine owning your own data? And if you can imagine owning your own data, how do you then construct that? And once you've constructed it, how do you then share that with the rest of the world? Those are the challenges that are arising out of this entirely quantum paradigm shift is such a tediously overused phrase, but, but that, that, that's what we're talking about, Patrick, isn't it? So it's another one of those things where we can apply the Copernican revolution because we're turning everything from one orbit completely into the other, which is a, a very interesting amalgam. But at the same point in time, as we know, Rome wasn't burnt in a day. And there's obviously going to have to be a lot of immolation that goes on here. Now, how does that work? Because I can see a huge empire of people who their whole life has been garnered by holding data. How do we manage to get the data away from the data hoarders and allow ourselves to the innovation of being sovereign individuals in a data world? Well, I just would ask the question slightly the other way around, Patrick, and that's if we were starting today with, with a new project, why would we ever let them have that data in the first place? Uh, and... Uh, I think online uh, shops uh, uh, are a good example of where it would start to break down. We're all doing more online shopping, which means we're all filling up more forms every day to, to, to give our data away to yet another shop. Uh, and the time is going to come. Look, I've got this here on this little file of mine just connect to it and you can have it from there i don't want to fill it up again you know enter password enter email address re-enter email address to make sure it matches uh, and then that dreaded word required comes up telephone number required you can't even go and shop with me if you don't give me the required data i i i i think there the, the, where if there's an option then people are going to very quickly go for the option. They're not going to give every airline their passport. They're going to say, connect to my passport. I mean, if I'm flying with you once uh, uh, to, to Australia, and I'll probably never go to Australia again. Uh, so I don't want Qantas to have my passport. Connect to it, I think. So that's interesting. So, I mean, maybe you can walk us through this or, or give us an example of something you've been working on in relation to some of this data holding or, or alternative data distribution, for want of a better term. Well, it's a very primitive uh, project, Patrick, uh, but it involves a visitor system. Uh, uh, and I, I don't know whether you, you perhaps have got uh, capability to show people what it what it looks like. Uh, it's coming but, right now. Keep talking. Okay, thank you. Um, with the visitor system, I don't want you to have to 
give your name and address to every single organization you visit. I want you to have uh, information on your phone which identifies you, uh, and all you have to do is click on a QR code, and that records the fact that you visited them. It spreads from there. It can also be logging on to, uh, to uh, uh, clogging in rather to, to that organization to go to work. Uh, it can be entering the cruise ship. Um, th there's there's the, um, uh, the start of it. We call it ID me safe, and uh, it 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 has a. You can create your own profile. You can within the template you can ask for the information that you want. So if you're visiting a school and they want the a certificate to prove that you haven't just come out of prison, then that, that can be in, in there. It can have the car that you're driving. Uh, and uh, also, uh, we, we offer this on a paper basis. So uh, you can have it on your phone or you can have just the QR code on, on a card, rather like you have a, 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 a booking in um, slip on an airline, a boarding pass. Uh, so we can cover every aspect of it. Now, once you've got that profile uh, of yourself in a visitor's book, how much more can you build that up? Uh, do you, for instance, want us to have further details of your uh, papers, your films, your, your photographs, your instructions to your estate should anything happen to you? Do you want to put that in there as well? Do you want to use it as a vaccination, a COVID vaccination certificate for travel as we are likely to, to have? How is that going to work? Are we going to have some massive macro overwhelming organization which says, yes, this person's got his COVID certificate? If so, it's going to be fraudulently copied. It's going to be faked. It's not going to be real. Didn't, didn't the UK try that? Isn't there something called track and trace, which at the entire GDP of a small, medium-sized African country this year and actually delivered nothing? Uh, exactly, Patrick. Uh, uh, and uh, it, 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 it's a great, great sadness. It, it, it relied on everybody having a smartphone. Everybody doesn't have a smartphone. And, and, and so it, it could never possibly work uh, and it was led by a lady who um, made a mess of everything she'd uh, run before including talk talk um, and the that's, that's the wonder of government if you keep failing long enough they make you president of the European Commission but don't, let's not get started on that actually we've got a great comment from Kartik Kartik once again Kartik Swaminathan thank you very much for your questions and comments this evening Kartik it's been fabulous to have you on the show and thank you Colin he says I have made a humble attempt to propose a framework for innovation in my book 3F future fintech Framework. Sounds like an interesting tome, Gartic. We must endeavour to get ourselves a copy. Hopefully it's uh, it's available not just in India, which I know is where you're uh, very active in the fintech community, but that sounds like a great tome altogether. Thank you for participating in the conversation this evening. And there's still actually 10 minutes left to manage to do so, ladies and gentlemen, just under, if you would like to ask another question or make a comment about what we have been discussing this evening in relation to data 
innovation and the sovereign individual. We were really maxing out on innovation, innovation just before I interrupted Colin. So you think about innovation, Colin, what have you learned over the years in terms of ways you can actually try and make innovation happen? I guess the fundamental first thing I've learned, and I, I think Kartik's just sold a few of his books, incidentally. Uh, the, the first thing I've, I've, I've learned is that it never goes where you're expecting it to. Yeah. Something always comes out of left field. Uh, now, you very kindly mentioned earlier on how we pioneered data capture from uh, forecourts for retail systems. Uh, I had a real interest from Shell in, in, in that project to the point that they put a man on my board. But when it came to putting their hand in their pocket and actually investing in the capability, they held back. Oh, no, 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 we haven't got the budget for that. And the innovation was actually carried forward by a, a, a guy called Eric McMullen running a funny little oil company in Ireland called Maxol. So an individual put his money down when the macro shell held back. What changed that? The Arab-Israeli war. Uh, when the Arab-Israeli war quadrupled the price of petrol and, and other oils overnight, suddenly the equipment that Shell had invested in would not physically set the price that the gasoline had got to. <laughs> and a very major company called Wayne Dresser, uh, as a pump uh, manufacturer, had made no provision at all to um, deal with that. What did, so what they had to do was to sign a contract with us overnight, which uh, was very attractive indeed. And uh, it, it got off the ground. But it, so it, it was nothing to do with the value of retail data, which, as you know today, is fantastic value. To, to, no, no supermarket could exist for 10 seconds without that uh, feedback and information on everything their customers have done. But it wasn't imagined in those days by the oil company chiefs of that time. Well, it's interesting because, of course, the whole data explosion as we go through, and I'm going to talk about that in Victory or Death, and, and the way that we've really gone from, I mean, the whole of humanity essentially gathered about as much data by the early 18th century as one influencer is knocking out in about a year at the moment in terms of data produced. I mean, it's absolutely incredible the numbers that we're talking about. Also, by the way, I noticed that Kartik, thank you very much for your message, Kartik Swanamanathan, his book 3F Future Fintech Framework is also available on Amazon UK. So it's available globally to all those of you who want to catch some of his suggestions for the future innovation framework. So the innovation framework, but I mean, I can't help but hear the message that comes through to me and what you're saying actually, Colin, is that very often there is a judicious dose of either luck or coincidence that seems to somehow or other come through. I mean, certainly no one in their right mind is going to manage to 
claimed that in some way, shape or form, you as a, a demobbed army officer was able to influence the Arab-Israeli war, um, let alone that you would be able to find this you know, small Irish petrol company who were crazy enough to decide that they would make pumps electronic. And I remember those pumps very well, actually, when they were first, in, first introduced, and I couldn't believe that they weren't in the mainland UK. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you just need a dose of luck or something else that some sort of a, a little crisis from which you can manage to ultimately push your innovation forward. Yes, serendipity is a fantastic thing. Uh, but what I try to do now, Patrick, is to remember all those reasons why I failed. You know, why when we put uh, what was an extraordinarily effective uh, micro uh, self-settling stock exchange structure into Nepal, why did it not go mainstream? Well, it didn't uh, partly because everybody was wedded to T plus settlement rather than T equals zero. Uh, and something, I think T equals zero is inevitably going to uh, be there in the end, but it's not going to be there for me uh, because the, 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 the Train less, left, left the station, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, on other things, though, I have been extraordinarily lucky. Uh, the the, the um, first digital dealing rooms in the city were, were, were created through our capability to do optical character recognition. Those, uh, the older members watching will remember when data was only on a television screen. It wasn't data, it was a picture. Of, of, of the price and that picture of the price was jealously controlled by the likes of Reuters and Micronosis and names like that in those days. Now if a, a naughty little outfit like ours came along and took a picture of the picture and digitized it in optical character recognition and rebroadcasted it as data we caused a lot of problems and and that was the origin of the digital dealing rooms in the city of London. Then the Japanese were looking for a solution for Daiwa Europe. They had a lot of money and they were looking for a solution. They accepted our idea and amazingly, they went against even the larger organization at the time that was meant to be taking all the lead decisions, which was Numura, they put the investment in themselves to a product that the stock exchange had produced, but failed to sell. So was that lucky? Was that the right place at the right time? Was it just knowing the, the, the right thing at the right time? Uh, is somebody watching this tonight saying to themselves, we were going to go and create a vast central database of individual data, which will take us ages to build up. Whereas if we use this idea, we can let people keep their own data. And as long as we have access to the bit we need for, from it, we can build our business without any risk uh, from the Data Protection Act or uh, general data protection regulation in Europe. So, uh, Serendipity, luck, there is always uh, some imagination behind it, but the, the main people who've got to be able to imagine it are those who actually, in the end, will make the most money out of it. 
the people who made the most money out of the electronic pumps were the oil companies mm -hmm. and the pump manufacturers. The people who made the most money out of digital dealing rooms were the banks that bought the dealing rooms. Uh, so ultimately, other people benefit from having the imagination to adopt the innovation that small organizations like mine and Kartik and other dreamers and thinkers produce. What we would like to ask your audience to do, Patrick, is please use your imagination. Consider how we can actually innovate within it. I say to you that if we started today, we would never, ever let anybody else have our data. But 30 years ago, it was only the big controllers of data who had the computers to store it all. And that's why they got away with it. It's time we took back control, took it back to ourselves, owned it ourselves, benefited from it ourselves, and uh, allowed our relatives to keep the valuable data that we create in our lives going forward. Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, time to take back control. Gosh, that could be a great political slogan or possibly the bane of some people's lives, depending on how it's used. Colin Howard has been with us this evening discussing innovation data on the sovereign individual, and I think it's been a rising call to arms. The opportunity to manage to hold our own data to therefore push ourselves forward. And this coming from a man who genuinely knows every single board of his data throughout the course of his life. The first ever online credit card transaction undertaken a 200k board, something which is essentially less than the blink of an eye in the modern Zoom culture, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, Mudat Karatas, and you say thank you very much. It's been most educating. I agree completely. It's been a fascinating opportunity this evening to hear from a genuine expert in the field, rising us towards greater innovation, rising us towards the idea of controlling our own data, and someone who's not afraid to demonstrate the fact that from various previous failures have come incredible successes, whether it was the electronic petrol pump that I remember so well from my childhood, being seen on the streets of Belfast and a few other parts of the world. And that was, of course, driven by so many coincidences, as well as the actual drive to innovate. We have had a rising conversation today. Thank you very, very much to Professor Michal Polaszczyk in Poland, Kartik Swaminathan. Thank you very, very much. And we will. We'll check out your book, 3Fs, The Financial Framework. That looks like a really, really intriguing uh, effort altogether. And thank you very much for your kind words. Thank you, Patrick, for this wonderful session with Colin. I think actually I'd have to say, I would say thank you, Colin, for this wonderful session with Patrick, because I've purely been a bit part expert uh, this evening, facilitating what's going on. Munat Karatas, it was great to have your various interactions as well. Martin Watkins, a joy to hear from you as usual, and also Women On It. And speaking of Women On It, we're going to have a week off. Thank you very much for the kind words, Martin Watkins, another superb IPO vid. Many congratulations. That's coming, of course, from a previous alumni of the series. Good grief, over 20 episodes ago now, Martin. High time flies. Thank you very much for the comments, Martin. 
mention of Women On It reminds me that I do believe there's a great Women On It show coming tomorrow evening to a stream somewhere near you. And significantly, we're going to have a week off for Easter if we haven't managed to subsume too many Easter eggs during lockdown over that period of time. We'll be back the week after. Looking perhaps a little bit calorifically enhanced, we won't need any of the uh, the graphics, and we're going to be looking at the idea of talking blockchain. We're going to be talking blockchain with Sandra Rowe. She's a very experienced parishioner in the world of exchanges, but most significantly nowadays is the chief executive of the Global Blockchain Business Council. That's coming up on the 13th of April in two weeks' time. It only remains for me to wish anybody who wishes to celebrate a very happy Easter, whether or not that's your religion or not. Well, let's do one thing, ladies and gentlemen. Let's follow the sagely advice of Colin and try to look after our data, whether we're celebrating Easter or however we look forward towards the next couple of weeks. We'll be back in a fortnight. Thank you very much to the production team. Been a pleasure to work with you as always. Thank you, Ola. Thank you, Beata. Thank you, Veronica. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you very much for watching this IPO vid. We'll be back in two weeks. If you need anything in the meantime, check out wherever this stream is. You can catch all of the previous issues. That's 25 different episodes easily on a data stream. And they're all much more than 200 bob too. Thank you and good evening.